Welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. My roots are from India. My shoots are from South Africa. My boots are in Australia. It is so good to be here with you this morning. I I met your pastor, I think it was 10 years ago, and uh, we clicked immediately, but lost contact in between, but I kept going. I preside over an organization called World Global Missions. We have over 4,000 pastors across the world that I run another organization called Net Consultant. We network, we empower, train, and consult ministers. 34 years ago, a pastor walked into our church, looked at me and said to me, you will travel the world, and I laughed at him. Our church didn't take 200 rands worth of offering that, that Sunday morning. And I thought, how am I going to travel the world with that kind of offering in this church? But let me tell you something else. I've traveled the world. There's only two countries that I've not been to. is America and the UK. But we have organizations in Oman. The Sheikh of Oman called us and gave us a church in the heart of a Muslim state. Put your hands together. Come on. We have churches all over India. I preached at one of the meetings in a conference in India. A very wealthy businessman was sitting at the back with his glasses dropped way below his nose and he kept looking at me. That Friday night he came to me and said, I'd like to take you for a drive tomorrow morning. I said, sir, I don't normally leave the conference to go and do something else. He said, no, I need to take you. And he took me for two and a half hours. You know what the Indians are like? It's just there by the corner we keep going. Don't worry. We'll be there just now, just now. Two and, <laughs> two and a half hours later, I'm still traveling. Eventually, I get through this bush, a thick forest, get out, and there's this beautiful gates, beautiful gates, a tarmac driveway to the building. And he hands me the keys to a building worth $3.8 million. We run a church there. We run an organization which is running our, our orphanages in that, in that place, and God's doing some tremendous things. I could take hours talking to you about what God has done. At the age of nine, at the age of three, my mother saw me with a tea towel over my head and said to me, you will become a pastor. I was praying for people, be healed, be healed, be healed, three years old. Little did, did I realize, at that time, God had his hand over my life. And at the age of nine, I was standing in an open air when a service, a man was preaching, screaming and shouting, you're going to hell if you don't change your life. At nine, I started to shiver. And I said, God, I don't want to go there. And I gave my life to Christ. At the age of 12, I became a youth leader and a coordinator in the youth club. We grew that youth club from 10 people to 300 in less than four years. And some of those people that were in the youth club today are ministers across the world preaching the gospel. I was born in a Christian home, raised as a Christian child, very involved in God, loved the Lord, and at the age of 15, I went to Bible school, studied the Bible, got involved in it. It's rather emotional for me to talk about this today because it happened 28 years ago. I'm a 68-year-old man 
with the 28-year-old heart inside. I'll tell you why just now. How many of you are in a hurry to go home this afternoon after service? Let me see. Let's, let's, nobody. Thank you. Because in India, when we preach, we start 3 o'clock, we finish 3 o'clock in the morning. But I won't do that to you. I'll, if, I'll, I'll, I'll ask you at the time if you can allow me just a couple of moments more. Because I believe this, I'm, I'm actually shaking. I'm, I'm, I'm shaking. I told your pastor in the office, I'm nervous about what God's going to do in the church this morning. The last time this happened is I prayed for a dead man in, in a hospital. And I was as nervous as anything. And I was shaking when I started to pray over this man. He's alive today. His name is Henny Stain. He lives in Krugersdorp and he owns a business. He's alive today. I'm going to cut this really short because it's a two and a half hour testimony, but I'm going to really cut it short. At the age of 40, I was involved in the church as a pastor. God ordained at the age of 21, but I was really involved in doing things. I love God. If you ask me to choose between my wife and my children, I'll choose God. You probably look at me and think, that's selfish. No, it's not. Because of God, I have them. And because of the things that I do for God, I have the other things that are added on to me. Because my Bible says all things work together for good to them that love God. If you love God, everything else falls in place. At the age of 40, I was involved in a church, but there was a building that was up for repairs and it was a cinema. I went into the pastor and I said, Pastor, we need to change this because the seats in the cinema normally drop from top to the bottom. And you have the stage. But this church was like that. And the people sitting in the front there used to look up to the pastor. And I decided that I was going to convert that church and turn it into a platform right through from the stage all to the back seats. I did that. And I started to do that. But let me take one step back. Prior to that, I was called to go and run a rehabilitation center in a place called Amkumas. How many of you are South Africans here? There we go. You know where that is? The south coast of Natal, the most beautiful part of the world. I ran this organization for about four years. And one morning I got a call from the pastor and he said to me, would you come up and bring some men from the rehab center to help you? So we went up there. That morning I went up through the back stairs all the way to the top of the, top of the roof and it was about 18 meters high. I climbed up walked all the way down the length of that building until I got to the point where there was a damaged roof and we had to fix it. So I told the two engineers who were in our rehabilitation center and the two of the building contractors that was in the rehabilitation center up on the roof with me, I said, guys, you fix this. I'm going to go downstairs and continue to work on the platform. And as I turned to walk, I fell right through that building. And let me say this, there was not an ounce of wind blowing. And I cannot understand how I went through that roof and I fell right through the roof onto steel chairs with my coccyx hitting the chair. The ricochet split T12 and L1 in my spine. I immediately became a quadriplegic from here down. I could not feel a thing. And all I did was hold the two chairs and just stand there until the paramedics came in. And when they picked me up, they picked me straight up they tilted my body onto, the, onto, the, onto that stretcher and strapped me up and I went into a coma. They rushed me to a hospital. The surgeons came and took x-rays and did all kinds of weird things with me. And they said, this man will be paralyzed for the rest of his life, a quadriplegic. You're looking at a quadriplegic. 
I lay in that hospital for three months. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to nut this out and try and get to the center point of all of this. I lay in that hospital for three months. And in that three months, I had the church people, which I pastored for about 700, maybe 800 people in that church, which we turned a cow shed in Amkumas into a church. We had miracles, deliverance, prophetic word. God was doing great things in that ministry. And the devil somehow knew that he had to stop me because something was happening in that town. The south coast of Natal was being revived because of God sending me into that place. I left a job that was playing, paying real good money. I left a job that gave me a brand new motor car. I left a house that was beautiful and I went and lived in a shed. And God turned that around and gave us a church that was blessed. And as I lay in this hospital, all kinds of thoughts ran through my mind. Why would the devil do something like this? Why would I become a quadriplegic and I will not be able to walk again? I cried for months lying in that hospital until one day a professor, a Hindu professor by the name of Teddy Govender walked into the hospital, looked at me and said to me, all I can do for you is operate on your back, take away the splinters that have damaged your spine and allow you to be less painful, but I cannot guarantee you're going to walk. My wife was a medical person. She's a doctor in gynecology and she's an advanced midwife doing work in Australia. Was at the side of the bed when the doctor said that to me. She held my hand and she cried. A man that built, fixed, fished, played golf, did everything, was no longer able to walk. Our church, we had a time for mourning. People were crying day in and day out. Sunday morning they would come to church and cry. God, why? Why did you do this? It wasn't God. There was a purpose in all of this. On the 10th of October, 1996, I had my fourth surgery. Was it the fourth one? Yes. It was the fourth surgery. I had three. From the time I had the accident in February until the 10th of October, I had three surgeries and nothing helped. Nothing helped. On the 10th of October, 1996, Professor Teddy Governor said, I'm going to do one more surgery with you. I'm going to put two pins in your back and I'd go home. This is how I was lying on that bed with no backbone, broken. He did the operation on the 10th of October. At three o'clock, they prepared me and pushed me into theater for the fourth time. And as I lay on that bed in the, in the, in the, in the operating theater, something happened. The doctor that was assisting Professor Teddy Governor was a Hindu from Delhi. He was standing there and while they were busy operating on me, he nicked my lung, he punctured my lung and I died at 20 to 9 that night and I flatlined. Outside that theater, there was 300 of our church people praying. My wife, my mom, my dad, my father, all were standing there listening and watching what was going on. But none of them knew at that time, at 20 to 9 that night, my body was dead but my spirit left my body. I came out of my body and I could see all of these actions around me. I could see the professor trying to paddle me with paddles and trying to bring my life back. But my spirit just left and left and left. And I kept going. I eventually landed up in heaven. I knew it was heaven because I know my Bible. I read Revelations at least 30, 40 times and I understood exactly what that scripture meant when I saw the images of these beautiful streets. I saw the pavement of gold. I saw the glitter. I saw this... The atmosphere was awesome. Ma'am, this morning when you did worship, you took me back to heaven. 
I felt his presence this morning, and I know God is here. When I walked through heaven, I sang with the angels as they sang, Hallelujah! Hallelujah! I sang my heart out. That's why you cannot control the volume inside of me when I want to worship. I worship with all gusto, with all that is inside of me. Because when I went into heaven, there was no such thing as silent singing. It was awesome. It was so beautiful. I walked up one flight of stairs and I walked all the way down to a corridor. I walked up another set of stairs and I walked down another long corridor. And as I got to the third one, I saw two beautiful doors open. There was an angel at the bottom on both sides. There were four angels, two on top and two at the bottom. They were singing, Holy, Holy, Lord God Almighty. I knew I was in the throne room of God. I knew it. I felt it. I sensed it. But you know, as I walked through those corridors, I saw people that I recognized that I buried. I saw pastors. I saw friends that were there and I waved at them. But I could not talk to them because I didn't leave this body completely. God had a purpose. And as I got to that door, the angels blocked me with their wing. And I heard this beautiful voice, Lazarus, Lazarus. I thought, oh my goodness, don't let him say the words. The words that came out of his mouth was, what are you doing here? I didn't call you. I turned and as I was about to walk away, he says, put out your hands. And God gave me four gifts, the gift of healing the gift of deliverance, the gift of prophecy, and the gift of discernment. And he said one of the things, and he said, now go. He said, don't touch anybody when you pray. I've gone through some, some conferences. I've gone to some churches where it's such a hypocritical thing that some of these ministers do. They make one straight line, and people are standing back to back, and this guy pushes the first one, and all of them fall. The power of God pushed everybody down. You hypocrite. It's not the power of God. You let the power of God operate without you touching anybody. When God touches, he touches you in a unique way. I left. And at 20 to 11 that night, two hours later, in that theater, these two doctors and the other professions that were around them got the paddle up to the highest. How many of you are doctors or nurses here? Are there, is there anybody? Thank you, ma'am. You know, they wind up that paddle, bring it up to the highest, and they rub it together. They hit me for the last time at 22.11. I came back to my body. I looked at this professor and I said, Doctor, take me to the church. You should be shouting, Amen. You should be shouting, Praise the Lord. I came back to my body. Do you know what? No sooner I came back, I went back to sleep. I was in a coma. They finished the operation. They wheeled me into the, into the intensive care. Now, if you're a nurse, you'll know that intensive care, with this kind of case, you'll be there for at least seven days. I was there for three days. Is that something that's unique, or is it that coincidental? He was in the tomb for three days. I was in the intensive care for three days. I went into the recovery room for three days. Is that coincidental? No. And let me tell you something else. On the seventh day, they pushed me out on a wheelchair and they said, right now, go home. But I still couldn't walk. I still couldn't walk. I still sat on my wheelchair. And I still worshipped my God. Because the faith inside of me believed 
Like Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says, Faith is the substance of the things hoped for. What was I hoping for? I was sitting on that chair, waiting one day that God will give me back my feet. But you know what? Something happened. Something happened that day. I still couldn't walk. But my spirit inside of me was so determined, I could see myself walking. I could see myself fixing motor cars. I can see myself building kitchen cabinets. I can see myself fishing with a fishing rod. I could see myself walking and playing with my children. I could see myself talking to my grandchildren. Hey, if you can't see what God can do, let me say something this morning. Get up and wake up because faith is the substance of the things hoped for. It is the evidence of the things you've not yet seen. I couldn't see it. Let me tell you what happened, Pastor Josh. Senior ministers from the fraternal that I hated at the time came to pray for me. They came to pray for me. When they came and prayed for me, Pastor, you must go to the government and get your care that the government will give you, which was 300 rand a month. My shoe on my feet cost more than 300 rand. Hello? Sometimes ministers can be real encouraging, but they can be real discouraging sometimes. You know what our problem is as church? We anchor our faith on a man rather than God. He's just the messenger. God has sent him, uphold him, lift him up, push him to the place that he needs to go. But don't anchor your faith on him, anchor your faith on God. Now if you allow me, I'd like to preach. Are you good? I'd love to be in the family's house, because in the family's house you take advantage. <laughs> Amen? That's not preaching, that's just my testimony. Let me tell you what happened after I got my testimony. On the 15th of December, I was sitting in my house. Now, pastor's house in South Africa, if you, I'll, I'll, I'll paint a little bit of a picture. The pastor's house that I was living in was a big square, one big square open. And then you had a little door that takes you to the kitchen. From the kitchen, you go into the bathroom and the toilet, and that was the pastor's house. I had three daughters, a wife, and myself, my cats, my dogs all living in that same house. So we decided to divide that big square into half of it into a bedroom that my wife and I shared, and the other half was our living room that I could counsel with people. I was sitting in my bedroom on the chair on the 15th of December, a quadriplegic with a certificate in my hand. The doctor says, you are 100% disabled. I anchored my faith on the scripture, 11.1 Hebrew. Now, say it with me, now. Oh, goodness me, come Lord. I said now, a little bit better. I said now, not tomorrow, not the day to come or the time to come, but now. I said, God, now is my faith that's hoping that something is going to happen. I sat there and I was watching a movie, a Christian movie, and I was listening and really engrossed in this movie, and all of a sudden the phone started to ring in the lounge. It rang one minute. It rang two minutes. It rang three minutes. It rang for four minutes. It rang for five minutes. It rang for six minutes. The seventh minute, I said, doesn't that person realize there's nobody here to answer that phone? Normally three rings and you put the phone down. That phone went on for eight minutes. I got up from the wheelchair. 
I dragged myself around the table. I went around the divider and into the lounge. I grabbed up the phone and said, Hello. The lady on the other side was the missionary from our church. She said, Pastor, you answered the phone. When I realized what I did, I collapsed to the floor. The doctor said, I will never walk again. I walked around that divider. I walked into the living room. I walked to the telephone and I picked the phone up. When Maureen realized that she answered, I answered the phone, she said, Pastor, I'm coming. And she put the phone down. She just lived down the village, which was about a five-minute walk. I picked up the phone. I phoned my wife. I said, come home quickly. She said, she said what happened? I said, I'm in a lot of pain. And I put the phone down. Maureen came back, running into the building. She ran past me into the bedroom, saw the empty wheelchair. She came out and ran past me again into the toilet, into the bathroom, in the kitchen. Pastor, where are you? Pastor! I said, I'm here, Maureen. She came running to pick me up. I said, don't touch me. You see, when God starts a miracle in your life and he starts to do something, don't let anybody else add value to it. Are you listening? Are you listening? When the doctor says you've got cancer, don't let somebody else tell you my mother died of cancer. It brings death over your life. When somebody's going through a financial crisis, we, we became bankrupt, you know, because we couldn't afford it. Don't let them add value to your life. When I said to Maureen, don't touch me. Not 10 minutes later, Gladys rocked up and she walked in. She said, what are you doing on the floor? You know, sometimes when God does a miracle, people around you don't want to believe it's a miracle. Are you listening? When God does something, people become so skeptical. Oh, it must have been the professor. It must have been the doctor. The tablets you took. God works through all of those. I'm not saying it's not possible. But when God does something, he does a supernatural move. Are you listening? I said, God does a supernatural touch. Can I ask you something? Does this good-looking guy look like he's a quadriplegic? My wife and Maureen grabbed me up. She put me on the table in my bed and she said to me, Did you take the drugs? Hello? Did you take the drugs? Because I was on Schedule 7 drugs, which is the highest drug at the time. It knocks you out within a couple of seconds. I did not touch it. It was still lying on the dressing table. But that drug that I got that morning was the injection from God that rose me from that chair. You see, when God wants to do something, he tests your faith. Nobody wants to say amen. Am I that good a storyteller that you're all captivated in it? Let me tell you something. When God wants to do something, nothing, nothing, because his word says his promises is a and amen. He's promised to do great things for us. He's promised to answer our prayers. He's promised to do things that we want to. You know, when people came to me and said, why are you questioning God? Why are you testing God? Why are you putting God through this? You know what my Bible teaches me? I, I taught in Bible school. I studied in Bible school. It says, put me to the test. It says, try me. And it says, prove me. What does that do? It gives me authority to prove God. It gives me the determination to test God. But you've got to have faith to test him. Hello? I said, you've got to have faith to test him. This morning, I didn't ask anybody to sing songs, but every one of those songs we did was directing us to something super supernatural that's going to take place this morning. Think about it. Faith to sight, he said in that one song. 
turn my faith into sight. And if you can see that which you want and believe with the faith that you have, God will give it to you. I got up from the chair. They put me back on the bed and I lay there in pain. Gladys went back to work. My daughter came from school and she looked at me. She says, Dad, there's something different about you. What's wrong? I said, no, I'm just in a lot of pain, girl. Never told her that I walked. I never told her I got out from the wheelchair because this 13-year-old young lady used to carry me and take me to the bathroom. She used to do a whole lot of things for me because my wife had to work to keep us financially grounded that we could live. The next morning, she didn't go to school, but she stayed there. I said to her, Lucio, get me the wheelchair. She said, why, Dad? I said, no, I'd like to go into the bathroom, please. So she brought the wheelchair. But normally you would bring the wheelchair and you'll push it to somebody this way that you would sit on the chair. I said to a girl, turn the chair around. She said, why, Dad? I said, watch what I'm going to do. So she picked me up from the bed. I leaned forward. I sat on the bed. I didn't do that for one year, seven months because my bones were broken. I stood there and I whispered this prayer. I said, God, give me strength. Now, faith is the substance of the things hoped for. It is the evidence of the things not yet seen. My daughter has not seen it. I have seen it. Now I'm going to show my daughter what faith can do. So I grabbed the wheelchair by both those hands. And I started to push the wheelchair. And I started to move. This child jumped on the bed. She jumped all around screaming, Dad, Dad, you're walking. Dad, Dad, you're walking. Faith is a substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of the things not yet seen. When you see God doing something, believe he is doing it. You see, we become so critical about our vision that we can't see what God can do. We can't. When I pray for people, I'm already seeing God doing it. Now, let me start tapping a little bit of the miracles that took place after I, after I got out of that chair. I went on the first, the third of the third of January. I went back to the hospital where they gave me this beautiful certificate. It said, this man is 100% disabled. Hello? Whose report are you going to believe? I said, whose report are you going to believe? He says, this man will be 100% disabled. I still got the certificate. I framed it. Not in a gold frame, but in a black frame, because I'm going to give death to that frame, because those words were negative. I went back to the professor that did my surgery. I pushed this, this wheelchair down a corridor about five, say, two and a half, three kilometers down the road in this hospital in St. George's, uh, uh, what's it called? King George Hospital down in, in Sydney. I pushed this wheelchair all around. The nurse that was at my bed for 17 months, Mary was her name. As I came out of the car and pushed this wheelchair, she was the first one that came out from this orthopedic ward and looked at me. She said, Fundis, Baba Fundis, Baba Fundis, Baba Fundis. And she started screaming. And all of the people in the hospital thought there was something going on. They all came running outside and stood at the door. I had one of these most beautiful welcomes. An audience that was waiting to see me push this wheelchair and go down the corridor. I pushed this wheelchair and I went and I went and I kept going. 
I went right to the end where the professor's room was. And as I got to him, he looked at me and said to me, this man has the third force. And he looked at Gladys and said, there's something operating in him. You know what she turned on and told him? That's the Holy Spirit that you're talking about. While I was lying in hospital, lying flat on a bed, I used to take my guitar and I used to do Sunday morning worship to about 40 people that were lying in that same orthopedic ward. This old man who was a professor would come and he would sit outside the ward that I was in and listen to me preaching. A Hindu. He didn't have to come in on a Sunday morning, but he would come and sit and listen to me preaching Sunday after Sunday. When I went back to the hospital, when I went to South Africa after five years, I went back to the hospital. I got news that that man gave his life to Christ. During the course of my term, while I was pastoring a church in Florida, a lady walked into one of our meetings. 19 years, she tried to have a baby, 19 years. She cried. She was so broken, but I preached a message that morning. I said, if you believe and ask God anything, he will give it to you. And she walked in, as she walked in, she cried and she stood in the front and I said, ma'am, what is it that you want from God? She says, please ask God to give me one baby, just one baby. I said, let's pray. And I put my hand in front of her womb and I started to pray. I said, God, you said that if I ask anything you would do, you see the faith in this woman this morning. The husband said, I've tried everything. Nothing seems to work. But I believe, Pastor, that if my wife believes, God will give her the baby. I laid my hands and I started to pray and I saw a baby in this womb. And I said to her, nine months from now, you will come back to church and I will dedicate this child. His name will be called Joshua. Nine months later, a church that was full of people in Florida, Johannesburg, she walked in proud. She was so excited. And you know when the blacks walk in, they have this scream about them. How do they do that? Is there one here, somebody that can do it for me? They scream on top of their voice. Now, when she did that, the whole church went silent and here's this woman walking in with this baby. She comes in with the baby and she looks at me and she says, you remember me? I said, God help me. I said, ma'am, I pray for so many people. I've traveled all over doing praying. I can't, I can't tell you yes or no. She said, well, let me refresh your memory. The day when you prayed for me, this might sound very, very crude, but I want you to listen to the way she presented it. She said, pastor, that day when you came and you prayed for me, and as you prayed for me, you put your thing inside of me. Today, God blessed me with this baby. I want you to pray for him. I said, is this Joshua? She says, it's Joshua. I prayed for him. He is now close to 34 years old. That boy is still alive. Can I ask you people, how many of you have got faith this morning? Hello? How many of you have got faith? How many of you drove your car this morning, but you got out, took your key, you stood in front of the car and said, hang on, let me just phone my, my, my mechanic first. Hey, Tom, how's my Merc? Is it okay for me to drive it? Tom probably asked you the question, why? No, I'm, I'm just curious about the brakes. Do you think it will stop the car when I'm driving? You put faith in a motor car that's got four rubbers on a cylinder that compresses the fluid against the brake pads. 
that stops your car. You've got faith in that car and you'll drive it. You'll come to church. You'll pick up a chair. But you don't check, sit your 80, 90, 100 kilograms on it without checking it. But you've got faith in the chair that was made by somebody. Hello? Why don't you take that chair and check whether it's been welded properly? All the screws together. Is it okay for me to sit on? You don't check it, do you? Why? Can somebody help me? Come on, let's preach together. Talk to me. Hello? You've got faith in that chair, isn't it? Say that again, man. Exactly. Did that person check the chair the second time? I can guarantee you he did. Because he was too scared he was going to flop on him. You see, when it comes to God, we somehow question God when it comes to our faith. Do you think really God's going to do something for me? Let me tell you something. This message that I want to preach, I preach for five days. It's a long, long message. But I'm trying to... So can I go on for five days? I'm sure we'll have some snacks and stuff brought in. Nah. I just want to pop up your faith. Your faith. You know what the Bible says? Every one of us have been given a measure of faith. Hello? Every one of us have been given a measure of faith. And then all of a sudden, in my message I say, some people when I ask them, how are you doing? Oh, pastor, I lack faith. I just don't feel God. How do you know that you lack faith? What measurement did you use to lack that faith or to see that you don't have the faith? Did you take it and pour it in a cup and see whether the cup is reduced or it's gone too far? Hello, come on, help me. How do you know you lack faith? I can tell you what you lack. You lack trust and belief in a God who's given you that faith. Come on. When you get into an airplane, this happened true, this is a true story. I got into an airplane once and it was flying from Johannesburg to Nigeria. And all of us were seated in that plane and we were ready to take off. And the air hostess played a plank on everybody. She opened this, the cockpit door and out walked the pilot with the blind glasses and a white stick propping and moving around. You should have heard the comments that came out of the people that were sitting around us. The one lady said, please, please, let me get off. Please let me go home. Please, please let me go home. You see, sometimes when the devil plays pranks with you, he walks into your life and shows you that you have got blind faith and you're thinking about the things just in front of us. Hello? Please, please help me this morning. I can pray till I'm blue in the face, but if you don't take your faith and believe in what I'm going to pray for, you're not going to get it. You leave here disappointed. I went to church. That man spoke about faith. It meant nothing to me. It's not my faith. It's your faith that's got the problem. Hello? How many of you have gone to a doctor that says, the first thing the doctor says, what's wrong with you? How many of you have been to the doctors? Come on, help me. Why did you go there in the first place? You got a headache. The doctor is asking you what's wrong with you. 
Oh, doc, I, I just can't sleep. I got this headache. And I get up in the in the night and I start walking around the room. The doctor looks at you. That's not a headache. You've got a spirit like a zombie that you're walking around because you can't sleep. Come to church. We'll pray for deliverance. Your headache will leave. The zombie will leave with the headache. Amen. You see, the problem is we don't understand when God says, without faith, it is impossible. Let me say this again. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without oxygen, I cannot live. But we bank on oxygen. We live on oxygen. We stand on oxygen. We do everything because I can take a beautiful breath. What is it that's missing in your faith today? And then the AOS goes on the, on, the, on, the, on the mic and says, Ladies and gentlemen, our humblest apology. The pilot is in full sight. He's not blind. We just played a trick on you. How many times have you come to that place where somebody's played a trick with you? And you became so seriously captivated by it. I think the young lady said something this morning about the world around us. Nothing in this world today seems to be positive. Hello? People are talking about the on, we, we we're on the verge of the third world war. I don't believe it. I believe we're on the verge of the king coming on his white chariots to take us home. I believe he's coming to rule and reign with us because those that have no faith and lack faith will be left behind. Because the Bible also says in the last days, will God find faith in the presence of his people? Will God find faith? You know, I walked into a church that I preached before I had the accident. And as I walked into the church, people wanted to touch me. They wanted to touch me. I said, what are you doing that for? She says, no, I just want to feel some of that, that virtue that God placed in you run through me. Let me tell you something else. I've got nothing. Nothing. I can do nothing without Christ. I'm just a host wife connected to him and I bring back what he says and I deliver it to you. And if you don't believe it, I can tell you now, you'll drive that motor car and you'll press your brakes and you will fail. You will fail. And this is not pride and I'm not speaking, blowing wind up my sail. I want to say this. There is nothing in my life that I've tampered with or done that I've failed because I've always got faith that I will succeed. Regardless of what it is. I retired five years ago and I started my own little business. I gave it up and I said, that's it. I'm not going to work again. I'm going to start traveling and preaching. Two weeks later, I get a phone call from one of the biggest steel companies in town. And they said, hey, listen, we'd like you to come on board. So I get into this company, get the job. And I walk in, and one of the youngsters in that building speaks in a language that got all those flowery words with the F in front of it. Two hours into me sitting at my desk, I could hear this guy. He didn't want to stop. I got up, I walked up to him, and I said, Excuse me, sir. I respect you. You're a lovely gentleman. And let me tell you something. When you've got faith, you can do these things because faith gives you guts to attack somebody. So I stood there and I said to him, excuse me, sir, you're a beautiful, handsome, lovely young man, very intelligent. 
but your language is destroying my ears because it's so sore, the filth that is going in. He said, I beg your pardon? I said, that's the first time you didn't use the F word. He says, what do you mean? I said, stop swearing. It's not conducive to this environment. I went back to my desk and I said, Lord, give me the guts to sort this guy out. And I started to pray. My boss comes and stands at my door and he looks at me and says, what are you doing? I said, I'm praying that God will give me faith to move that guy. Let me tell you something else. Mountains can be moved if you have faith. Two weeks later, he walked into the boss's office, resigned from the company and moved on. The manager said, for five years I've been trying to sort him out. He never listened. You walked in two hours and you got it done. I told him, when you have faith in God, God moves mountains. Today, that same sales manager had his birthday yesterday. I bought him a Bible because he doesn't have a Bible. I'm going to go and give him the Bible that his life will change because I believe when you do things in faith, God will reward you. All right, now let me preach. Why is it that people say they lack faith? Anybody wants to hazard a guess and tell me why? Is it because you didn't get answer to your prayer? Is it? Have you tried it, ma'am? Did it work on you? You didn't get answer to prayer? Didn't you question, why is there no answer to this prayer? God answers in three ways. Does anybody know how? God will say, wait. Now hang on, when God says wait, we become so erratic. We get so angry. What is wrong with this God? Doesn't he understand I need this answer now? Then, all of a sudden, God says no. Why did he say no? Maybe your life is not in line with what he wants you to do. Maybe God wants to do something and somehow... There are things that you need to drop. A lot of us are carrying baggage. We walk around with such a load that we don't understand why we are hunched back and we're walking in the presence of God with no zeal, no bounce in our step because we're carrying this load and God says, no, let go. And when you let go, somehow there's a burden that's lifted and then God says, yes, now I can do it for you. We were doing a conference once, 500 seater tent. I preached my heart out that night and I was about to pray for people. When this mother ran in, a Hindu from that village that we were in, she came screaming, please come quickly, come quickly. My son just died, come quickly. I had a line of people, I think 30 or 40 people to pray for. I said, let me finish this and I'll come down there. She said, no, pastor, you've got to come now. I said, I will come as soon as I'm finished. I went through that line praying for the 30 people. We had three people that were blind that saw that night. There were two people that were crippled that came there all twisted and bent. God healed them and they walked out perfectly well. By the time I got to the end of the line, I was drenched with perspiration with no more strength inside of me. And then somebody tapped me on the shoulder and said, Pastor, that lady is waiting for you. I get in and I take a walk down the road, get down to these people's house. The room was a small room. It was packed with over 35 people inside of it with this boy's body lying on the floor. The way the Hindus normally do it. They prepare the body, they put the body on the floor and they put a whole lot of mud. Do you know why they put the mud? 
they look at this the, whatever print is left on that mud that's how he'll come back in the next 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 life so they put the mud there so I asked the mother why did you put that there she says no we're expecting pastor he's gone he's dead the doctor certified him dead I said he's not dead he's sleeping the mother looked at me with this weird look on her face she says what do you mean he's sleeping I said watch I said to all the people now get out of this room now you know the reason why I cleared the room because there's a lot of skeptical people in your life that are looking, waiting to see what's going to happen. Hello? Faith is not the substance of the things what will happen. It is when it happens. People are waiting for it to happen before they have faith to believe it. Let me say that. Faith is not when you what will happen. It's faith not when it's done and then you'll believe in Allah. Oh, I'll have faith once this miracle takes place, then I'll have faith. Hey, you need faith before the miracle takes place. So I got rid of the people. Now the people don't want to move. Nobody wants to move out of that room. So I grabbed my wife's hand. I said, listen, let's move outside. I said, you guys stay here. We're going. And as I started to move slowly, those people moved out. I said, you the mother, you the father, and you the granny, stay here. I said, bring me a glass of water. Now let me tell you something, people. There's nothing with water. I've used it all my life. I'll tell you another story about somebody in Brisbane that's still alive. I took that water, I held it in my hand, and said, Father, you turned that water into your blood. You turned that water into your wine. Now I'm asking you to turn this into your blood and bring life over this little boy. I started to pray. I said, Father, you promised me never to let me down. You, you've never let me down. Every time I've called on you, Lord, you've answered. My faith is enough for this young man that's living in this body right now. And I called his name. And I said, Rise, young man. In the name of Jesus, he sat up, bones creaking, and he looked at me. He says, can I have some water to drink? I gave him the water that I just prayed for. Can I tell you something else? He's 37 years old, married with three children and still alive today. There's a man in Brisbane. I worked for a company called G.J. Gardner Franchises, selling homes. We went to the Christmas function. There was about 40 of them sitting around the table drinking and having a real rollicking time. And I had my drinks as well, but I had OJs and some Cokes. and uh, no, Not the Coke that you normally Coke. I'm talking about Coke that you drink. You're looking at me like that. Come on, people. And all of a sudden, somebody comes and sits next to me and I see it was the MD. His name was Matt Hope, and he tapped me on the lap, and he said to me, Lazarus, see the guy across the acid here? He says he's dying of cancer. I told him about you. Will you pray for him? I said, yeah, I'll pray for him. So he comes around the table, and there's 40 of them drunk, talking on top of their voice. I banged two bottles together. I said, attention, attention. Everybody shut up. You see, when God gives you authority, you have power over the enemy. You call it, call those things that be not just as though they are. He comes up there and I said to him, I said to him, listen, let's pray for you. His wife Jasmine was there and she was sitting there and she was crying. She was bawling her eyes out because the doctor said, that was December. The doctor said by April you'll bury him. I said, no, you won't bury him. I said, he'll live. So I took a bottle of water that was on the table. I started to pray over that bottle of water and I said, Father, I want you to use this water today to touch this man and to heal him from cancer. Seven years he suffered with cancer. Seven years. I prayed over him. And I said to him, how do you feel? 
He says, I've just feel something burning in my body. I said, okay, let's, let's, let's go on praying. In the meantime, all of these other guys have got their drinks in their hand, eyes wide open, waiting to see what's going to happen. You get that in all, everybody's life, you'll get them. You've got these skeptical people waiting. What happened? They prayed for her to have a baby. She's not having a baby. Where's the baby? Why the baby hasn't come yet? It takes nine months for a baby to come. So I kept praying. Then I asked him again. I said, how are you feeling? He says, I don't know what it is, but there's something burning inside of me. I said, that's the beginning, sir. I took that bottle of water. I gave it to him. I said, drink some of it. And he drank it. I called his wife, Jasmine. I said, Jasmine, do you have a bottle of water in your fridge? She said, yes. I said, every time that bottle goes down to empty, you fill it up from the tap and you give him to drink. Let me tell you something else. It's gone eight years. That guy is still alive. And he sent me pictures of the bottle of water in his fridge. And he keeps drinking it every day. His faith is so strong that God has never let him down. I was standing in a boutique shop. I want to show you what faith does. I was standing in this boutique shop, leaning over the counter that had all these pants, racks of pants on it. I was just bending backwards like this when a professor's wife from the University of Pretoria was in the room with him and he was buying some clothing. She came and she walked past me, but she walked in there with her hand bent. Her right hand was bent because she had a problem with some of the tendons and the muscles in her hand. And she's just come back from the doctors. And the doctor said that the hair hand wouldn't heal. She would stay like that. And as she walked past, she brushed my back with her hand. And her hand shot out. And she started to scream. Next thing, this professor runs from the counter and comes, What did you do to my wife? I said, excuse me, sir, I didn't touch her. Mr. Von Royen, who was the owner of that shop, walked up and said, This man is a preacher. He died and he has a special gifting. The lady says, I don't know what it is, but my hand is fixed. She says, my hand is fixed. You know what that professor turned around and did? He took his checkbook out. He says, how much do you want from me? I said, sir, the gift that I have has no price to it. Because when God blessed me with those gifts, he says, go and touch nobody. I didn't touch your wife. Your wife touched me. Do you know something that changed those people's lives forever? You did say I could stop at 2 o'clock. At 6 o'clock. <laughs> you know, when you, when you truly believe in God, nothing deters you. Nothing. Nothing. I, there's so much that I can tell you what has happened and build your faith, but I'm going to say this. There are people here in this congregation today that are going through financial strain. You're going through marital problems. You've got emotional stress. You're panicking about your job where you are. You've got children that are gone astray and you don't know what to do. And when I call just now to pray, and let me say this, when I call to pray and if you don't come out, and after the service you come to me and pray, I won't pray for you. I've made that a policy whenever I'm going to pray because then what happens is you're waiting for this to be a private little conference between you and I. It's not going to happen because now is the ordained time that God wants to do something for you. So don't just sit there and wait and say, well, I can go home and practice this. There's an anointing in this room this morning. I said to your pastor, I have a nervous energy inside of me. I don't know what it is. The last time this nervous energy was inside of me is when a man was dead in the Florida hospital and he's alive today. 
When that nervous energy comes about me, I sense that there's an anointing that will break every yoke of bondage. It will turn your mind inside out. But something needs to change. Arnold Palmer was a fantastic golfer. A fantastic golfer. But every time he hit the ball, he would either hook it or sway it to the right. He could never keep the ball in the middle of the fairway. His Christian caddy was standing behind him one day. And he said to him, Arnold, stop. He was about to hit the ball. He turned and looked at his, his caddy and he says, what's wrong? He says, can I tell you something? He says, you've been caddying for me for the last 10 years. You didn't say anything. What are you going to say that's going to change today? He says, sir, just lean forward a little bit. And push your club up firm and firm your feet and swing the ball. Swing the club and let the club hit the ball, not your body. Some of us are waiting for our bodies to move before our faith can move into God. Hello? We're waiting for God. I went into a, a Hindu home once. If God does it, then we'll give our lives to Christ. I've got news for you. God won't do it till you give your life to Christ. Because he's not a bargaining God. He's not yet a bargain. I'll give you 100%. You can take 50% discount. Doesn't work. God wants your life. Because he gave his life for you. And in return, he promised. In, in Jeremiah, he says, I know the thoughts I have for you. Not to harm you, but to prosper you. I tell you what, I say this with no regrets. I dress like a millionaire. I talk like a millionaire. I behave like a millionaire. I live like a millionaire. I drive like a millionaire. Can I tell you why? Because my father is a millionaire. He watches over me. I lack nothing. Devil, I want you to hear this. I lack nothing. You know why? My faith is in him who is able to move me. Hello? Can God do it for you? Can God move you? This message that I have on my, on my iPad is a five-year conference message. I put it all into my testimony and I wound it up to bring you to a place where I just want to pick up your faith. Listen, this is a secret. I don't want to say this too loud because I don't want the world to hear it. I want you to hear it. You, None of you in this room lack faith. None of you. None of you lack faith. Get that thought out of your head. Take that and put it into, the, in, into file 13 where you can shred it and throw it away. Are you listening? You don't lack faith. You just lack the belief in applying that faith. How do I believe, Pastor? Peter didn't look at Jesus and say, call me and I'll walk. He didn't look at the water. He said faith and he just stepped out by faith onto the water and he started to walk. But the moment he moved his eyes away from him, what happened to him? He fell. Is it your sight or your mind that needs to change? I can't see it. I've got a picture of a young girl that I prayed for in a church in Amkumas on a wheelchair. I sent that to your pastor. This young girl came to church. The mother and father are Hindus. They pushed her into church. You know what this little child said to me? I've actually got the recording of it. She says, Pastor, my mother and father don't believe in God, but I believe there's a God that can heal me and take me out of the wheelchair. And I said, baby, say that again. She said it three times. I believe that I, I have a, there's a God that can heal me and take me out of this. I said, what's that God's name? She said, Jesus. Mother and father are staunch Hindus. They have a temple in their yard. And I said to her, baby, in the name of Jesus, I showed your pastor the pictures. She got up and she leaned forward and she walked away from the wheelchair.
How much do you believe that God can change your situation this morning? I count this a privilege and an honor to talk to you because let me tell you something else. Every time I've shared my testimony, I've seen such great miracles take place. There's some of you here that are suffering with such pain in your lower back. I know that God can heal you. There's one or two of you here that have got eye problems. You've got problems with your vision. This morning is your turn that God wants to heal that vision problem. There's a couple of you here that are sitting with financial needs, but you really don't have the faith to believe that it's going to happen. The banks have turned you down. Neighbors have turned you down. When you've asked people for loans, they've turned you down. Let me tell you something else today. God is turning your situation around now. Because now, faith is the substance of the things hopeful. Can you hope for it? We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au.